Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. Guys, it's our weekly show done a little bit later in the week. Carolina played earlier in the week. Carolina plays Saturday against Louisville in a rematch game. Ross, since you joined me first on the conference call, start with you, the leaky black injury. I think it's a pretty big deal for this basketball team. What sayeth you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as huge as maybe some people would think. Um, I certainly think there's other players who are stepping up, uh, maybe Brandon Robinson primarily. I do think when it comes to a backup point guard role, uh, the absence of Leaky Black is more important, but Kobe White is playing more and playing at a very high level. So if they can get a couple minutes from Kobe White, uh, sorry, from uh, Seventh Woods, that would um, help there. But we don't really know how long he's going to be out. Is this going to be a, you know, a, a two or three games, or is it going to be more like uh, three or four or five games and, and bulk of the remaining of the ACC schedule? So we'll find that out on Friday when this podcast is released. We'll have a better idea, but. Uh, Leaky's minutes have dropped a little bit ACC play, but he's also been uh, pretty solid when he's in there. He, he scores a couple baskets, he defends, he passes the ball, and he is a positive contributor for UNC. So I certainly don't think it's a any silver lining to this. I think it's a player that UNC um, maybe doesn't need as much, but certainly is a benefit to the squad and has been successful. And I mean, there's not I don't think there's many times when you've you've seen him play poorly. And I don't know if that can be the, you can say the same for Seventh Woods, which, which I think Tom, you think will get more minutes now that uh, Leaky Black is going to be out for a couple games at least, and, and we don't know. It might it might be one game, it might be two games. We don't know yet. Yeah, certainly find out tomorrow. And just for our listeners, we're recording this on Thursday night, so a lot will come out of that press conference on Friday. Uh, but Greg, you made the point off the air that Leaky's average is only nine minutes in ACC play, and that's certainly accurate. Uh, and and when I see that, I think, well, maybe my eyes deceive me um, on the importance of this guy. And the reason I think he's important is, yeah, he's he gets some minutes that maybe seventh would get in the backup point guard position, but he also can back up the one, two, three, and even the four spot. And so it gives Roy Williams, you know, the old army knife uh, option where he, he's got one guy that can do multiple things. But to Ross's point, Brandon Robinson, I think, has been very good, a lot better than a lot of people expected in his time. And so maybe he'll um, peel off a few of those leaky minutes, even though they're only only nine during conference play. But your thoughts on his absence and where um, what statistically wise is not a huge loss, but maybe um, stats don't always tell the whole story. Yeah, well, I think your your point is is the most pertinent, Tommy. In that, what Leaky brings is that he's a he's kind of a stopgap for a bunch of different positions. If you were to have Kobe or, or Seventh getting foul trouble, uh, you've got a guy there that can step in. He knows the position. Same at the two. Same at the three. Um, when you look at any particular position, you know, it's maybe not that big of a loss because you know Seventh right now I think is pretty clearly the number two even though he has struggled a little bit lately. Uh, as you guys mentioned, Brandon Robinson has, has played fantastic, and he's really kind of the uh, the seventh option right now. I mean, he's, he's number seven on the team and 
in minutes in ACC play behind, you know, the, the top six with uh, Little coming off the bench. So he's really improved his game. So he's kind of cemented himself as that, uh, that next guy on the perimeter, which I think is good for Brandon, but uh, you know, that's, that's not a spot where Leakey has been. And I, I think it's important to say you know, a couple notes on Leakey. I believe it was after the Miami game. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but Roy made note of the fact that Leakey had not been playing as well as the coaching staff had hoped in recent weeks. Um, and we, we watch him play and you're like, wow, he's constantly making all these good plays, but clearly uh, he hasn't been this elite guy to the coaching staff, uh, which is why his minutes have, have not been there. And then the other part of it, too, is that he has patellar uh, tendonitis in his knee, which apparently has been very painful for him. Uh, and that's probably led to some of his minutes and probably some of his his play that the coaching staff hasn't liked. So uh, if you want to find the silver lining, it's probably that because of this this ankle injury, uh, probably is going to keep him off his feet for, you know, at least a couple of weeks, I would assume. And that gives him rest and also gives him rest for his knee with the hopes of maybe whenever he gets back, uh, not only is the ankle better, but the knees uh, better too. So that's probably one way to look at it. But yeah, to wrap all that up, like you said, Tommy, the, the Swiss army knife aspect of leaky him being able to contribute in so many different ways. I think that's the biggest issue with him not being on the court. If you look at his numbers, nine minutes per game in the ACC play, as Greg said, I mean, it's 1.9 points, 1.3 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. It's not like he's making some huge impact on the game from a statistical standpoint. I think mostly, as y'all have said, you know, coming in in relief for some of the starters and and giving a break uh, for guys like Kenny Williams uh, and Kobe White um, and Cameron Johnson and not having much drop, drop off in terms of defense and offensive contributions to some extent so it's not like they're losing a, a wealth of rebounding or a wealth of scoring with with Lee being out yeah i freely admit uh, when i was thinking about these this podcast this was a question i wanted to discuss and then when i saw the stats i, I was kind of surprised because ross to your point that's not a big deal stat wise i just it, it'll be interesting to me to see how the chemistry aspect is affected and seventh Woods has got to step up, Greg. I mean, seventh has shown some flashes. He had a nice play the other night. He's played some defense, uh, but the carelessness with the ball at times has got to drive Roy Williams crazy. And then if he can't trust seventh now, and he's basically um, hacked playtex minutes at, all the way down to next to nothing at any sort of backup point guard role, Greg, does that force, or I think it does force, Kobe White to really ramp up the minutes? I think he played over 30 or maybe right at 30 against Georgia Tech. But we're at the point in the season where Kobe needs to be on the floor as much as possible. Can he physically handle 30, 35 minutes a game in this conference? Well, that's the great question, Tommy, because no doubt Kobe uh, is emerging as the player that we thought he could be. You know, when we talked back in August when he was playing down in the Bahamas, this is kind of what kind of what I saw. Um, and he's done that in ACC play. I mean, he's averaging 18 a game, leading the team, shooting 50%, 40% from three, uh, averaging 27 minutes. So you need him on the court as much as possible. But to your point, 
is this a guy because he's so young and because he pushes tempo so much? Can he play 32 minutes? Because 32 minutes for Kobe is not the same as the battle kid or Frank Howard at Syracuse when they walked the ball off the court or at Virginia. You know, those guys can play 35 minutes and play you know, th- you know two-thirds of the uh, possessions that Kobe plays. And I think that's the the great question. And I don't think that's a question that, that Roy wants to really find out. Uh, and so because of that, seventh, to your point, needs to needs to start playing better. I mean, early in the year, we had a lot of conversations on this podcast about how well seventh had done. Uh, he he'd kind of been that veteran presence off the bench. He had a really good assist turnover ratio. And now look at him in ACC play. You know, in seven games, he's got six assists against 12 turnovers. That's not getting it done, uh, and especially as your your backup junior point guard. You've got to be more more productive, more efficient, uh, and you, you've got to help the team. And so uh, that's that's the the trickiness of this is that you don't want to stress Kobe, even though he know you know he's your best option, but you got to give him some breather somewhere. And um, with you know with the buy coming so early, coming last week. You had a good rest period in December. You had a good rest period midway through January. Well, now it's uh, it is tight from here until March Madness. There is no more rest. And you're going to play two games a week, uh, and some of them are going to be two games in three days, and so it's going to be tough. And so you you cannot afford to risk wearing Kobe down. And so yeah, it's critical for seventh to kind of find his groove that he had going on early in the year or else that could pose some problems, especially with Leakey being out for however long he's going to be out. Yeah, Ross, Greg's point about the amount, you know, 30 minutes in the North Carolina system is probably akin to 37, 38 in the Virginia system. And that's not saying those guys don't play hard, but they just don't run it. And Kobe's 6'5", but he's a little bit slight, and he takes a beating. when he When he drives in the lane, he's – he gives out a little bit of it, but he gets a lot in return, Ross. So that that is a that's a valid concern, I think, going forward. Yeah, it's a great point by Greg, given the how UNC plays in terms of their tempo and transition, and not only that, but then how Kobe White plays within that. Um, and you don't want him to wear out. And there's gonna be some big time games where he's gonna be counted on to defend some big time players. Um, in in games, there's only a day or two in between. Uh, against high-level competition, so and, and he, yeah, he's a. You have to realize he's still a freshman, and uh, he he cares so hard and works so hard and and goes so fast. It's certainly him, you know, wearing out uh, during this stretch, the the last two thirds, the ACC schedule and into the tournament is a concern for UNC, and that's where having Leaky Black um, to relieve him at times and Seventh Woods to come in and not have him just drop off is so important. So those two guys and getting Black back in time for the stretch run in the ACC and some of these big contests leading to the tournament is big because you need Kobe White. You need him to be at 100%. You need him to bring the intensity and everything that we've seen so far that, that made has made him so important to this team. And and um, getting him breaks at times is key, and that's why we're looking to win, win Leaky Black and come back and, and what Seventh Woods can do um, in the meantime. So – this conversation sort of leads to multiple conversations that folks on the message boards have asked a question. I'm on, I want to look at the schedule, but I also want to address the Kobe white to the NBA part first. 
and Greg, I'll come to you on that. Sherelle and I have talked about it on our podcast. Folks need to enjoy Kobe White because the way he's playing, uh, he could be gone next year. It would not be out of the realm of possibility, certainly, for him to move on to the NBA. Carolina gets the one-and-done type player they've been wanting, and Kobe White goes and provides for his family. But that's twofold, Greg. With the increased workload, he can show out more for the NBA, but is it best for North Carolina? But your thoughts on Kobe and what he needs to do over this next month and a half, two months of the season to really get his name high enough in the draft to make it worthwhile? Well, I think Kobe has proven that he is a capable scorer. Um, He continues to impress me the way that he can score from beyond the arc as well as uh, get to the rim. And I think that's kind of the key thing. In terms of what he needs to improve on, um, Tommy, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, He's got to be stronger at the rim. He's got to be able to finish better. He's got to be able to draw contact uh, and finish. And once he adds that to his game, uh, he's just going to get even – his stats are going to just increase dramatically more just because, I mean, you already see it now – he gets some open looks from deep because guys are tentative. They don't want to get up on him because they don't want him driving past them. Uh, and then when you add in the fact that he can push the ball like, I mean, like Ty Lawson used to. You know, the, the, the thing we always talked about when Lawson was at Carolina is that it didn't matter if the other team scored or not. I mean, he would – a team would make a layup, and here comes Lawson right back down your you – know, the back of your neck. Uh, with the way that he played. And Kobe's the same way. And I think you, you you bring up a great point that you people have been clamoring for Roy to get uh, these one-and-done types. Well, if you get one-and-done types and they play like one-and-dones, guess what? They're going to be one-and-dones. Um, and, you know, I think we all know that Nasir's probably going to go just because everybody still has him in the lottery. But if Kobe's you know, playing his way up to kind of the mid-first round fringe lottery, I mean, you certainly can't blame the kid for taking care of himself and his family. I mean, that's the whole point of this whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there is, a, there is the likelihood if he keeps playing like he's playing now, uh, he's going to have a decision to make. And if he keeps playing like he's playing now, uh, he ultimately may not have a decision to make because he may be a lottery pick at that point in time, and and then he's got to go. So, as you said, enjoying why you got him. If you want to get into the one-and-done dance, uh, this is what you have to deal with, and uh, just enjoy him the next couple months, and then you know, see how, how the chips fall. Yeah, and to jump in there, uh, I was looking at some mock drafts. He, he's scheduled to go – or he's predicted to go number 25 and actually two that I looked at. So that uh, kind of late uh, first round in the NBA draft. And uh, he can certainly improve that by coming back and, and staying for another year and leaving after sophomore year. But he is skilled enough and proven enough offensively that he can go, um, he'll be drafted and he can go in and make money. I think he's an NBA type player. So he's going to have that, that opportunity and, uh, I think he's shown that he has all the skills you need to exceed, succeed at the highest level. And I, I think it's what he, it's all about his personality. Like I think entering college, he wanted to stay and he seemed like a Carolina guy. He always wanted to go to Carolina. He's from the state. I think if he plays, stays two years, I mean, he can leave quite the legacy 
at UNC in terms of scoring and the type of player uh, and the type of accomplishments you can do in two years. So that's something to think about because, um, you know, Harrison Barnes stayed two years. Uh, Kendall Marshall stayed two years. Guys like that who who really um, wanted to kind of make an impact and make a name for themselves at Carolina. And sometimes that's important to people because the NBA will always be there, but it's going to be hard to turn down if he creeps into that uh, teens range and maybe the back end of the lottery. And he's going to get better and better and get more and more exposure um, as the season continues. You know, a couple big games against Duke and a couple big games in the tournament. And uh, his name will be certainly on the uh, on the top of the list. And he can shoot threes, and that's what the NBA wants. He's proven to be able to shoot that step back three and, and pretty much knock it down and shoot a high level too. Yeah, and I think folks fail to remember – that he's 6'5", 6'4", 6'5", and that is ideal. And as fast as he is, as quick as he is, he needs to maybe improve his handle in traffic a little better. He needs to cut down on some of the turnovers. But, you know, he, he's got the ideal size. He'll bulk up um, at the next level. So I think he keeps doing what he's doing. He creeps up into the teens or early teens, and I don't, I don't think there's much choice. We've had this discussion over the years. Um, if his name was Kobe Ashley and he was in the top 15, he's going pro, uh, period. And I think Roy Williams would agree with that. Um, but we'll see. You got, we got a ways to go, and it's going to get a little bit tougher. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about the conference schedule coming up and how Carolina may fare going forward. But we'll be right back. All right, Ross, I'll stick here with you. The ACC schedule, like we've said, the bye is over. The bye week is over. So North Carolina is looking at Louisville, NC State, and then it really ramps up. you got Miami, two days later, Virginia. Those Both those games are at home, but still Virginia is always tough. And then you've got Duke uh, twice in a couple weeks later on. Tar Heels ACC schedule is favorable, um, but your thoughts on it and how it breaks down from here for Carolina. Yeah, I think it's going to be another tough test uh, at Louisville against a team that already beat Carolina. They're going into a hostile environment uh, against a a really good Louisville team, which I think has won six straight. So that's going to be tough. That's on Saturday. Um, NC State's proven to be a pretty solid team. UNC gets them at home. Um, They did – I don't say they handled them, but they they toughed out a win there in Raleigh. Get a break with Miami, and they have three home games in a row with State, Miami, um, and Virginia. But that Virginia game is going to be really tough. They get some reprieve with uh, Wake Forest, who is playing off right now. I think Louisville beat them by 20-plus points uh, last night. Um, And then Duke. And it's crazy. They play State and Louisville twice before they face Duke for the first time. That's at Durham on the Wednesday, February 20th. So that's kind of the immediate schedule there. Um, you know, I think in that stretch, Duke and Virginia, Louisville and State, those are all games that UNC has a chance to lose. Um, so there's going to be some losses, I think, in the, in the next two to three-week stretch. Um, I'd love to see what Greg thinks about the the immediate schedule here as we get into this, the, the second, the middle part of the ACC slate. Well, I think – we talked you know, before the start of ACC play about the way the schedule set up is that North Carolina had to bank some wins early. And the fact that UNC is 4-0 in ACC play on the road is incredible. I mean, only one other team during the Roy Williams era has done that. And that, of course, is 07-08 team that, that went undefeated. 
That was surprising so that, to see. I saw I saw a stat. That was very surprising. To, that's the only time I've done that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that shows how <laughs> tough it is to win on the road in the ACC, to win at a high level. Um, but we talked about needing to bank wins. And you know, they had a really bad loss to Louisville. And I think that kind of skewed people's opinions. But they took care of business in the game since. And they, they beat a good team in Virginia Tech uh, you know, a week or so ago. And then took care of business again you know, in Atlanta against a, a, a scrappy Georgia Tech team. That's the Georgia Tech team that's, that's better than we've seen in recent years. So you bank wins so that when you come into the meat of the schedule, which is where they're at now, you can afford a couple losses and then not have that big of an effect on you. Um, and I, I think, you know, kind of Ross, as you said, when you look at what North Carolina has coming up, uh, there's a very good likelihood that North Carolina is going to lose a handful of these games. I mean, they're not going to be favored against Louisville. They're not going to be favored against Virginia. And they're not going to be favored at uh, Duke. And so if they go three and three in this stretch, that's pretty much what most people expected. Um, and even then, you're still okay because uh, the way the way everything is set up in the ACC is you've got the upper echelon of teams. You've got Louisville, you've got Virginia, you've got Duke, and then North Carolina's right there with them. But then when you get beyond that, what do you have? Well, Syracuse has played well to date. Virginia Tech six and two, and then you go to State, who's four and four. And after that. You know, those top five teams, really, top six teams, it really just falls off. And so that's where banking those wins is critical. Even if you go three and three during the stretch, you're still going to be uh, nine and four in conference. You're still going to be in contention for that uh, top four seed. And that's really that's really where you want to be. Uh, now, if you can if you can still a victory, whether it be on the road at Louisville or or on the road at, at Duke, or maybe even at home against Virginia, uh, now you're in really good shape. And now we're talking about, okay, not only are they well-positioned for a, a, a double buy in the ACC tournament, but they can potentially win this thing, you know, win the regular season championship. And so we'll learn a lot uh, coming up. I mean, Louisville's going to be a tough game for them. That place is always very loud. Like We'll see that on Saturday for sure. Uh, but you know, that's a game where North Carolina, you know, there's a revenge factor because they were embarrassed in that first game back on January 12th. And after the Georgia Tech loss, a reporter asked Roy and tried to be nice about it. Say, hey, it's one of the worst losses you've had. And Roy was like, uh-uh, that was the worst home loss I've had, either at Carolina or at Kansas. Uh, and that's the type of tone that he uses when North Carolina plays NC State. So they will be ready to play on Saturday. Uh, but whether that's going to be enough, because I think the Cardinals uh, are playing pretty well right now under Chris Mack. Let me, let me jump in here. i got a question for you and uh, Greg and Tommy. Do you think the last two games, the, the beatdown of Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, was because those teams were just – Virginia Tech had so many injuries and were limited with their personnel, and, and Georgia Tech maybe not is a, is a very good team? Or do you think this is a really good UNC team that is rolling right now and will carry that momentum – into a into Louisville and, and, and to state and some of these better games, or are they going to come back to earth uh, and I guess back to the mean of what we've seen so far? Well, I would say that if you look at what North Carolina has done the last three games in terms of rebounding and turnovers, maybe it's a little bit better, but it hasn't been that much different than what we've seen. Now, what's really been different is that they've shot the ball well. Yeah, uh, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well uh, against you. Know, 
Pitt or State. They, they shot the ball well enough and then shot the ball poorly against Louisville and Notre Dame. Uh, but since Miami, they've been hitting. And I think part of that is that Cam Johnson has played incredible on the road, especially in ACC play. And Kobe White has really kind of improved his game. Um, now, if one of those two guys have an off game, you're in trouble because Luke May is struggling right now. And Kenny's playing a little bit better in ACC play, but he's still not back to kind of where we expect him to be from how he played last year. So I think that's the primary difference is just uh, you know, Roy always makes that comment. You know, everything looks better when the, the ball's going in the basket. But I think that's really true here because, as I said, the other areas, you know, maybe there's a little bit of improvement, but it's really just they're shooting better, and that's why they've looked so good in the last three games in, in particular. Ross, I defer to Greg 100% on that answer. I mean, a couple things that should – that could worry for folks is how Carolina played against Louisville at home. And then the Texas ball game. I mean, they've played really well and they wore out a good Virginia tech team and they handled business against Georgia tech. Didn't give them an opportunity to do anything, but those, that Louisville game and that Texas game should make people nervous because if, if they don't shoot it well, that's what's going to happen. Especially if, you know, if it's Kobe and Cam that aren't shooting it well, uh, Luke and Kenny really have to step up. We can talk about both of those guys here in a few minutes, but that is the issue there. If Carolina can shoot around 50%, they can beat anybody. Um, If they shoot under 40, I'm not so sure they can beat anybody the way they play, Um, especially the way they play. Yeah, and if they shoot 40 or below, we're talking double-digit losses at Louisville, at Duke, against Virginia. I mean, so it's I think it's that fine of a line of if they shoot the ball well, they can play with anybody. But because of some of these other deficiencies, not taking care of the ball, rebounding not being that good, not having a legitimate presence in the post, those are hard to make up for, especially if you're not shooting well. And so that's you hate to tie everything just to, well, they shot good, so therefore they won. But I think with this team more than maybe some other teams, there's a lot of truth in that. That perfectly leads to a question I'm off the message board about Roy Williams and uh, accepting having a perimeter-oriented team. And, Ross, I'll, I'll come to you first on it. I mean, even with uh, you know the perimeter-based offense that they've really had success with this year, they still want to get it inside. I mean, Brooks get touches inside. Luke May gets touches inside. And Brooks is a guy that sometimes he looks really, really good, and other times he doesn't look like he's developed anything on the post. And then Luke May, of course, we've talked about him. You know, his numbers speak for himself for themselves, but he has struggled, especially against quality bigs. And Louisville's going to trot out um, more than one that gave him trouble last time. So, Ross, how does Roy Williams uh, – balance that i mean i don't see carolina going even though they've had games where they've shot 30 three-pointers which i never thought i'd see um but moving forward especially saturday against louisville how's roy williams deal with that yeah that question was from uh jim and i mike i think people always like to hear their name on podcasts he, he dropped a lot of uh questions for us we appreciate that the question was will roy have to accept uh, a perimeter-oriented team. I think he's going to have to because um, they are playing very well when they when they do knock down shots from outside, and that's been a successful way for UNC to get some wins. I think UNC is scoring in the paint in a different way than normal. 
they don't really pass it in there and have a back to the basket guy like Bryce Johnson. Um, even Luke May is not very good at that. He, he's a little limited lengthwise to score over people down low. So most of their baskets in the paint are off, you know, Kobe White driving and scoring or Kobe White dishing or Garrison Brooks catching a ball inside and dunking or putbacks um, by Nasir Little and Garrison Brooks and those kind of, you know, off chance interior scoring. So uh, I think we really better have to accept a perimeter oriented team because I think that's what this team is. And that's the when they're really rolling and shooting and, and, and balling from the outside, they, they can be really good. We already talked about how important is it, it is for this team to shoot from the outside, shoot a high percentage from the outside. So, of course, Roy wants to score inside. And I think, um, of course, he wants to score a large percentage of his shots from inside. And I think he doesn't have the type of players this season. Next year with uh, Armando Baycott, he'll have a, a better interior score. And, and if they land some more higher-level recruits, they can get back to that type of playing. But the last two seasons, um, including this year, it's been a perimeter-based attack. And uh, you kind of kind of accept it and, and work from there and do what you can in transition to get easy baskets. It's all about easy, high-percentage shots. Greg, what's interesting to me on looking at the stats, and I'm – just so folks understand, we're looking at conference games only on these stats, at least I am, because the overall stats are a little bit different given the nature of the competition and some of the games that Carolina played where they padded some stats. But in conference games only, Greg, Carolina's got one uh, rotation player that's shooting above 50% from the field, and that's Kobe White, and he shoots 506 I'd wager, now I'm not a stat guy, and I certainly don't remember stats from years ago, I'd wager that's about as rare as a Roy Williams timeout. Yeah, no doubt. And I think kind of the, the big issue is uh, North Carolina is not dominating the paint. Uh, I, I think one of the, the – probably the craziest stat of the year is that UNC uh, – I'm not exactly sure. The exact number, I believe it's 20 that North Carolina has been outscored by its ACC opponents by 20 points in the paint combined. Georgia Tech outscored UNC 36-22 in the paint uh, on Tuesday. That is not a Roy Williams team. Uh, that That is kind of what we have now where you, you don't have the inside presence uh, to really kind of dominate down low, and so this is kind of what you get. And it's just a unique thing to see, unique thing to try to cover and try to understand. Um, but I think we'll learn a lot against Louisville. Um, I think that's a game where you, North Carolina really struggled with Stephen Enoch last time. And when you have a guy like Malik Williams, who's you know, almost seven foot, 250, and then Enoch, who's a little bit shorter, but I think he's 260, a veteran guy. Those are two really big bodies. Um, in the post. And so no doubt Chris Mack will rely on those guys uh, to do some damage. And so I understand and I get the fact that UNC's best lineup is when they go small and they score efficiently that way. But it's just like last year, guys. What happened in the NCAA tournament? They were into a bad matchup against a team that had two, or actually had three legitimate bigs. And North Carolina had no answer. Um, is what happened against Louisville. And we saw part of that against Texas a little bit. Um, and so I, I, undoubtedly, Roy Williams knows that. 
And so you're going to continue to see Garrison Brooks log a lot of minutes. Um, and if Sterling Manley is able to come back uh, in the next couple of weeks at a at a healthy level, maybe he can give you a few minutes there. Uh, but no doubt the Tar Heels are trending in a direction where they're going to have to rely on that small lineup a lot more, more than what Roy wants, more than what he expected and hoped for entering the season. Uh, and what that does is that that makes you vulnerable against some of these teams that have bigger players, Louisville being the first one on the list, but certainly not the last. And that's what makes this team uh, so um, vulnerable for a, a early defeat, either in the ACC tournament or in the NCAA tournament, regardless of how well they play in some of these games over the next month. Yeah, but somebody asked their chances at the Final Four. If they shoot it at a high clip and do it multiple games in a row, then anything can happen. Sure. Uh, it, you know, they. it is a fine line. It's probably a finer line for this North Carolina team than any Roy Williams team in a while. And that's Even more makes, so than last year. Even more so than last year. Yeah, and that's what makes it pretty fun to watch. I mean, fun is a relative term for some folks, but um, – yeah, uh, I mean, the sky's the limit, but the ground's also closer than you think. So let me take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do some of these questions rapid fire, more on the uh, on the podcast thread on the TAR, oh, excuse me, on the UNC Basketball Premium message board at InsideCarolina.com. We'll be right back. All right, Ross, we're going to kind of go quicker on these, try to work in a bunch more of them. Um, I've got some opinions, but I want you guys to get y'all's out because I can talk way too long sometimes. Ross, why do you, what do you think is attributing to Luke May's recent struggles as the freshmen start to progress? I don't think they are uh, – I think the freshmen coming along helps um, deal with Luke May's struggles. But Jim and I, Mike, we're giving it back to you again. So, Ross, your thoughts on Luke May? I was hoping you'd give this one to Greg. I mean, it's hard to kind of – explain struggles. I mean, I don't know what's going on in his head. I don't think he's I, – I did a radio spot uh, earlier today, and, I mean, he's second in the ACC in rebounding, and he's still top 20, I think, in scoring. Uh, but you did – his shooting's a little off. They get a really bad game against Georgia Tech. Um, I don't think confidence is an issue. When speaking with a guy, he's very confident, very sure of himself, and he's kind of been there and done that. I just think there's a perception that this guy should be scoring 20 points every game because last year he he did, and he was he was so unbelievable. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it's been a little bit weird, and luckily for UNC, Cameron Johnson has been there to pick up the slack, and Kobe White's playing at a really high level. Uh, rapid fire, Greg, do you have a take on kind of what's going on with Luke May and, and, and what has been going on with him as we, with the recent, recent shooting struggles? Greg, let me steal it first. I'll tell you what I think okay. the issue is, and Greg, disagree or agree. <laughs> Luke May is now number one or number two at worst on, okay. the, on the defensive scouting report for the opposing team. And I think that is a huge deal, and that has a lot to do with May's struggles. Greg? Yep, I agree with that. Um, Dang, I, I, I think that one. I, I think <laughs> what we're seeing is – I stole it from uh, Dewey. <laughs> I mean, if you go back to, to Marcus Page's sophomore year, I mean, he had a phenomenal year, All-American season, surprised everybody. What happened? Uh, well, he dealt with some injuries for one, but teams also keyed on him because he became the number one guy. Uh, and it, it allowed his teammates to have success 
And I think that's one thing people miss while you look at Luke's stats and want to criticize him for not playing as well as he did last year. Well, there's a reason that some of these other guys are playing as well as they are because teams know they have to account for Luke because Luke has proven himself. I mean, you don't earn all American honors by accident. Uh, and so I think I think that's kind of a key component. Now, is there more to it? Sure, right? I mean, you, I think when you watch him, sometimes he takes shots that you're like, okay, that's not like a good shot. You know, he's a little bit off balance maybe. Maybe it's quick for, for that possession. And so there's some of that too, uh, which is beyond just the scouting part of it. But I think it's compounded by the fact that, that teams are keen on him and when you when you factor in that he is North Carolina's interior presence, and if you can take that away, all of a sudden North Carolina becomes very one-dimensional, uh, and I think that's what teams want to do. And so that I think that's the key component. But as Ross said, I mean, if you look at his stats, I mean, the guy's still averaging close to ten rebounds a game in ACC play, um, and I think that's a that's a very key thing. I mean, he's averaging thirteen three and nine four, and we're we're talking as if you know, this guy's uh, you know, having a really down year. And I know fans talk like, hey, this is a chump. He's he's performing well, but he's not at the level he was last year. So a little bit of a victim of his own, of his own success. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what you have. And because teams are keen on him, that's allowed Cameron Johnson just to have a phenomenal senior year. And then, of course, Kobe White's kind of taken over. And so those right now are kind of the one-two punch that UNC relies on. Sitting here and thinking about Luke, nothing really stands out in terms of where he's really excelling offensively. Like he's not, not. Well, he had that one. I guess Virginia Tech he hit a, a, a lot of threes or one of those recent games, but um, there's not. He's not like knocking down threes in tons of games. He's not really killing it in the mid range, and he's definitely struggling inside the score more so than last year. So it just seems like not. He's not doing one area particularly well, which has certainly affected his shooting percentage. In the points. All right, Tom. Yeah, and if you right. and but Ross, you're exactly right. If you look at what he's done over the last uh, month and a half of the the year, his best game was that game at NC State, 21 points, 11 rebounds, um, and that just that's just because NC State's what they're a team that plays four guards, and their inside guy are, are two bigs that are basically placeholders. They're not very good, and so that that opens a a door there for Luke to be able to to exploit that's not going to happen against Louisville and that's that's the concern because if you look at what he did against Louisville the first time nine points on three of 14 shooting and that's because of those bigs that Louisville has uh, so he's got to have a much better game on Saturday if, if Carolina hopes to win that game yeah I think f- for me watching Luke May he's got to clean up the turnovers I mean and same with Kenny Williams they've had multiple games with multiple turnovers and you look and you think, who are they throwing that to? You know, and, and I think that's what hurts Carolina. But Luke Mays averaging, like you mentioned, Greg, overall 14-ish and 10-ish. I mean, what more can people want from a undersized five or, or undersized four in a, for North Carolina in the schedule with the schedule they play? I mean, he needs to be better. He needs to be more efficient. Um, but the numbers – or there, uh, I think he's a victim of his own circumstance at times. Um, but y'all mentioned Cam Johnson, and I'm going to come back to you, Ross, and I'm going to rope Cameron Johnson into the recruiting angst question that a lot of these 
folks have mentioned on the message boards. And it's something Sherelle uh, McMillan said the other day is two years ago, who thought Cam Johnson would be playing for North Carolina and putting up numbers he was going to play that he's doing? Recruiting works itself out. Roy Williams figures it out. Cameron Johnson, Ross, where would North Carolina be without this guy on the roster? Yeah, I remember tweeting this out during a game one time, and it was I said, "What a treat Cameron Johnson has been." If you're, you know, if you're a UNC fan, or you know, just want to see good basketball, he's been so good this year. He's been so consistent, uh, even games when he did not knock down some threes, he still found ways to score. And you just see, you see the benefit of that offseason hip surgery. Um, He's way more athletic. He's beaten guys down the floor. That dunk he had off the steal against Georgia Tech on Tuesday was an incredibly athletic play. He dunked over a player and stared him down, and the bench erupted. Um, And so he's really upped his draft stock. He's been the player UNC needs. Uh, He can really shoot it from deep. He he can – I think I was was listening to one of your previous uh, podcasts, Tommy Wistrell, after Georgia Tech game, and you said he's like one of the best – heat check three-point guys. I mean, he'll launch it, and when he's feeling it, he's feeling it. Uh, beginning of the Georgia Tech game, he hit back-to-back threes to start the half. And so, I mean, he's been awesome. And uh, I think he has a chance to be an all-ACC player of this season um, and really go down as, as one of the best transfers. And for UNC doesn't have many transfers, but one of the best uh, in history. And uh, that's pretty cool. It's, it's special for him, I think. You know, he has a, you know, things probably didn't work out as well at Pittsburgh where his dad went and where he's from. And he got a chance to get kind of a fresh start at Carolina and has been really, really good for one of the best programs in the nation. Yeah. And Tommy, I'll, I'll say this about, about Cam. I think he's had a phenomenal senior year and I think Ross is exactly right that, you know, that the hip surgeries played a, a big part of that, but also, also think it goes back to coaching and to, to what you said was what Sherelle said, uh, recruiting works itself out. Why does that happen? That happens because of coaching, right? Uh, you have to have a very good coach for this to kind of work out. I, I'll never forget uh, talking with some good friends of mine after the 2014 NCAA tournament. And Virginia had gotten the number one seed. It was such a big deal for Tony Bennett. And they go and they lose the, you know, Michigan State, who was stacked that year. I think it may be the Sweet 16. Uh, and everybody said, well, that was their run. You know, Joe Harris is gone. Uh, if you look at their recruiting, the recruiting is not very good. So Virginia blew their chance. What's happened? Tony Bennett is a fantastic coach. I'm a closet Tony Bennett fan. Um, and since then, they've only gotten better, even though the recruiting rankings may not be there. And so with North Carolina, you if you go back to those great teams, you know, I think those seven oh eight teams probably the, the best Carolina team that the Royce had. They didn't win the title, and then you had oh eight, oh nine. But what fueled those teams? Well, you had Hansborough, who was a top talent, but you also had Ty Lawson, the number one recruit as a point guard coming out. Brandon Wright, the number one power forward coming out. Of course, he left after one year after the oh seven year. And then Wayne Ellington was the number one shooting guard. So the the idea was, well, Roy can coach, yeah, because he's got all this great talent. But then when the talent dries up a little bit and he's not signing those elite guys, everybody said, oh, they're not going to be any good anymore. What does he do? 
He gets the back-to-back championship games uh, in 16 and 17. Coaching wins out. Coaching is, is the ultimate part of this. And yes, the, the kids have to play. The kids have to make the shots, all those things for sure. And you got to give Cameron Johnson a, a ton of credit for what he's done. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if you have a very good coach running your program, you're going to be effective. You're going to be efficient. You're going to be able to win games. You're going to be able to win a lot of games. Um, and, and people rise to the top. And it may not be somebody you expect. Nobody thought Kenny Williams was going to be a, a starting two guard for Carolina for a couple years. Yet here he is for a team that's you know, a top 10 program. Same goes for Cameron Johnson when he was at Pittsburgh. And so I think that's kind of the key component is have faith in what Roy Williams has done. He's earned that faith. Uh, he, he's a great coach. And, and all these things will work out. That doesn't mean he doesn't need to sign your elite talent. But the guys that he does get uh, always, always end up pretty good. Indeed. And, Greg, one thing I don't understand about Cam Johnson and Ross, you can chime in, is how is this guy not a a first-round lock in the NBA? And I know the NBA game and the college game have really gone their separate ways lately. But Cam Johnson sniping from three-point line into pros is what I watch all day in pros. Pick and roll, pick and pop kick out for threes that just seems ideal for cam johnson i'm not quite sure i understand that ross yeah maybe it's some of the athleticism uh you know it's gotten better but i don't know if he just he doesn't have that explosiveness you see in some of these first round picks um but yeah i mean shooting you can you can make a living for 10 12 years by just being a shooter in the nba so i think he he does have the chance to be a nba player but it's hard to make a roster but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I, I think a team would who needs someone that someone who can um, just knock down threes, but you, know, you might have some trouble defending at the NBA level um, in terms of physicality. I think you need to put on some weight, uh, things like that. But I wanted to add that I mean, Cameron Johnson is a great guy. I mean, just speaking with him, uh, I'm sure Greg can attest to this. But super smart, very thoughtful in answers. We appreciate that in the media, and uh, it's really cool to kind of be around and. You can always go to him for a good quote. It just seems like a really solid guy to to work with and to be a teammate with. And Cam Johnson is shooting 61% from three-point range in ACC play, and he's pretty much 6'9". So, yeah, I mean, Tommy. Tall. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the only, um, the only concern with Cam, and Shrell has alluded to this, or just not even alluded to it, he's, he's highlighted this point. Cam's old. I mean, he's a fifth-year guy. He may be the oldest guy in the draft. And so when you talk about longevity, that's a demerit. Um, but the fact that he's <laughs> he's at least got 10 really good years in him, I don't see how that's that big of a factor, but it, it, it is. Um, but, yeah, I think he's he's certainly a first-round guy. And you know, Josh Pastner, uh, after the Georgia Tech game of the night, he made a comment that uh, Cameron and Kobe – are elite guys, both NBA guys. And he said, you know, Cameron for sure is an NBA guy, but he thinks Kobe will get to that point. So that's pretty, pretty high praise from, uh, from another ACC coach. Yeah. It, I'm not going to lie. It ticks me off to hear people say that a 23 year old 
22, 23, 24-year-old guys old. Uh, that's half your age, Tommy. Yeah, that's, he could be my child. And, and they're saying he's <laughs> old. So, anyway, boys, it's been fun. I think we've covered a lot. There's probably some questions we didn't get to on the thread. Uh, but many props to folks taking the time. Jim and I, Mike, we probably answered 90% of yours. So, keep them coming. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Recruiting stuff, I, I'm not going to get into. Uh, that's Sherelle's purview and he certainly will be on this podcast with me and we'll go there but ross greg it's always fun uh job well done this evening boys i hope folks enjoy the listen appreciate it, tommy thanks tommy thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of unc sports your home for tar heel football basketball and recruiting